0: When night called Famous Fall. Friendships, where we're looking at famous friendships in the Bible. We have talked about unlikely friends. We have talked about best friends. We talked about uh, uh, mentoring friends last week. And today, we want to talk about believing friends. And when I say believing friends, we're not necessarily talking about friends you believe in or trust, that's good, but we're really talking about friends who you have the thing in common that matters more than anything else, a relationship with Jesus. You know that your friend, just like you, has trusted in Jesus with all their heart that he is um, their Lord and Savior as well. And there is power in being friends together with other brothers and sisters in Christ, And we're going to look at the power of that through the story that uh, maybe you've heard before. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That is a powerful Old Testament, awesome Old Testament story. It's in Daniel chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you might open it up to Daniel chapter 3. The book of Daniel has four main characters in it. Obviously, Daniel himself, who's kind of the leading role or the star of the show, if you will. But in addition to him, there are three supplemental or supporting characters as well. They're kind of like the three amigos or the three musketeers in that they are one for all and all for one. You never hear them mentioned except together. In fact, they're never quoted except when they are quoted to say things together. They are truly, you know, a, a group of three in that way. And again, their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And to set up the story, let me just tell you where we've been or what's been going on at this point in history because of Israel's unfaithfulness God has allowed the army of Babylon to besiege the city of Jerusalem and take his people, the Hebrew people, captive. Nebuchadnezzar is king. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, and he has at this point had a number of young, intelligent, uh, even the Bible calls them handsome young men, placed into special training so that they would be able to serve him and his kingdom. Well, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were four of this Group of young men who were chosen, and after three years or so of training, and after an interpretation of one of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream by Daniel, who did that, all four of these young men were placed in high positions in Babylon. They're put in place of uh, in places of leadership and responsibility, which is a really big deal considering how young they are. For one, but especially considering that they're just you know they had just been Jewish slaves. And foreigners, and here they are placed in these important positions. Well, we'll spend the majority of our time again in chapter 3 of Daniel, so I hope you can find that and follow along. You can also see it on the screen as well. Um, But here's, as we do, we'll notice this, that uh, Daniel has never been or is never mentioned in this chapter, which is kind of interesting, and nobody knows exactly why, but the thought among most... Uh, scholars is that probably Daniel had been sent on a trip or something on behalf of the king and was not in the province during this particular time. All we know is that one way or another, while Daniel apparently was gone, King Nebuchadnezzar had a giant golden image made for some reason, a huge statue. It was nine feet wide and 90 feet tall. It's kind of hard to imagine, but I mean, it, we're talking a really large thing. In fact, to give you some perspective, let me show you a picture of my wife, with a 25-foot-tall statue. This is in Pompeii, Italy. And uh, and I wanted to show this picture because, because it gives you a point of reference, because a 90-foot statue is three and a half times the size of that statue. So I wanted to help you see it for that practical reason, but also I've just always wanted to use, a, use that picture somehow, some way. So <laughs> I'll... I will probably get in trouble for that later, but sometimes it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. But I just wanted to show you that picture anyway. So, but uh, but well, the king made a decree at the dedication service for his huge monument, and he basically said to all the political and religious leaders there, he said, "Hey, when the music plays, I want everyone, everyone to bow down and worship this statue." Well. When the king was out there, and literally thousands of political and religious leaders and others were all standing around, uh, when the music started, everyone did as they were told. Every single person. We're talking thousands of people all bowed down in worship of this statue. Everyone except three. Three. Three people. You know, if a group of thousands of people all, all bow down and begin to worship, and they're all on their knees, and three people are left standing, they tend to kind of stand out. They're easily noticed. Well, that's what happened here, and it was, again, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, you need to understand that the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, ruled with an iron fist. He was a very successful, able general who reigned for 40-plus years, and he never lost a battle, Uh, He always got his way. He was not defied often, at least not successfully by anybody. And so this did not sit well with him, as you might imagine. Let's pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3, verse 8. And again, we'll we'll continue through the story in the Bible here. But at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, "'O king, live forever!' You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, let's pause there for a minute. You know, these three men who would not bow down and worship the graven image were acquainted with the Ten Commandments. They knew the Ten Commandments that God had given His people through the hand of Moses. They knew that well, and they knew that to bow down and worship this other, this, this uh, golden image would clearly contradict or break one of the Ten Commandments. So they chose to disobey for that reason. You know, I recently heard, about, uh, heard a story about a mom who dropped her teenage daughter off at the movies. Um, her daughter just wanted to go and see the movie with uh, some friends. They had picked out this particular movie. Hey, Mom, we want to see XYZ movie. And Mom said, yeah, sounds good. So they went to the theater and went in and sat down. And then her friends, there were three or three or four friends, kind of looked at her and said, Hey, um, actually, let's let's sneak out of here and go over into that other one. Because they really wanted to watch a R-rated, much more risque movie that parents probably would not want their kids at. But they said, hey, let's go do that. And the girl turned and said, no, I told mom we were going going to this movie. I I think we need to stay in here. And her friends were like, oh, come on. Are you serious? I mean, your mom's never going to know. What what she doesn't know doesn't hurt her. It's no big deal. And um, she said, no, you don't understand. It's not about whether or not I can trick her. The point is I'm not going to lie to her. And uh, so, their, so her friends kind of rolled their eyes, looked at each other like, oh, my word. Um, and they just went ahead and got up and left, went to the other movie, and this one girl was left all alone there, sitting there watching the movie by herself. You know, I'm sure that there were some the, during the time that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were facing this situation. I would guess there were some friends of theirs who said similar things like, come on, guys, your God will never know. And even if He does know, He's not going to care. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, for one thing, if, if you do this, if you don't follow the king's instructions, you might die. I mean, it's pretty hard to serve or be a witness for your God if you're dead. You know, come on. Well, these three Hebrew young men would not compromise their convictions for the sake of saving their hide. They would not switch theaters to fit in with friends. And there are situations every day that we face that might be somewhat similar. Now, I I would doubt any of us are ever going to. I'm pretty sure nobody's ever been told that they needed to bow down and worship a 90-foot statue, and that probably never will happen for any of us. It's possible, but I doubt it. But you probably will be asked to bow down in a sense and worship in a sense other things. Maybe uh, peer pressure. Maybe it's some kind of an addictive thing. Maybe it's uh, materialism or lust. or the, I mean, the list can go on and on. I mean, what do you do when your boss asks you to hedge the truth so as to bring home the big deal? Come on, it's not that big a deal. Just switch around a few details or numbers. Or, or what if you're in college and some of your college buddies or friends are saying, come on, are you serious? Everybody's doing whatever. Why would you not? Or, or what, if, what if you go to a luncheon and you're the only one there who, when the meal is served, starts to bow your head and you realize, oh, nobody else was planning to pause and give thanks. What, what do you do in these kinds of situations? And I think it's interesting Interesting that there are three friends here instead of just two. I wonder if at any point, once that decree was made, if there might have been some hesitation on maybe one of these guys, maybe Shadrach, Meshach, whichever one of them, maybe one, and maybe the other two. This is just speculation, but maybe the other two said, oh, come on, don't get, don't get soft or weak now. We've got to stand true to our commitment. You know that. Strength in numbers is often a, a very real thing. And our theme for the year as a church, if you've been here, you know this, uh, for 2019, has been better together. We are better together. It's based on Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 12 that says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And even better than that, a cord of three strands is not quickly or easily broken. Now this is a scripture that is often read at weddings uh, you know, with the point being that husband and wife are two and Jesus makes the third chord, and together, you know, that, that group of three is not easily broken. And that, that's a nice point. that's beautiful. There's nothing wrong with going down that road. But that's really not the original intent of the passage. As we kicked off the year early in January, we talked about that. And the real issue or the real thought behind that passage was just that three friends standing together is a powerful thing. I mean, having a close friend is a good thing. I mean, way better to be two than to be one. But a cord of three strands turns you into a formidable force. It's a powerful thought. You see, God expects us to be distinctive, to be devoted, to be dedicated, even if we are deserted by friends who left us to go to another theater or something along that line. And if you have ever experienced anything in that way where you felt pressure to compromise your convictions, to fit in with the others and do the other, you know the power of standing in a group as opposed to being the one isolated by yourself. The one by himself. It's kind of like if you've watched National Geographic or any of those show, those TV uh, programs on some of those different channels where they always show the predators chasing down the prey. What do the predators do? They always go after the solo, the individual animal, the one that is separated, that gets uh, you know, separated from the herd, because that one's weak. It's vulnerable. There is strength in numbers. We are better together as Christians in so many ways, and that's what I want us to see through this. You know, Christian friendships can develop anywhere in lots of different settings, maybe at work, you know, with a friend who doesn't go to your church, but somebody you can discern loves the Lord. There's power in that relationship that can develop. But they, of course, can also develop at church. Maybe it's through a life group. Maybe it's through um, a, a, a step study in Celebrate Recovery. Maybe it's through the elder-led class that meets at 8 a.m. every Sunday, or women's Bible studies or men's Bible studies that meet during the week, or mission trips or other groups where you can serve and help other, other people in different ways. But there is power in being part of a smaller group of some kind. And I want to encourage you to really consider that and let, recognize that and think about that as we look at this story. So the first lesson from this Old Testament story is simply this. If you're writing it down or filling in the blanks, here you go. Believing friends share common convictions. It's about what we're convicted about and what we're con- committed to. If you're a Christian, you need to find ways to encourage your Christian friends to live their faith as they should. You know, the life group that I'm part of, that Kim and I get to be part of here at church, does just that. During the school year, uh, we meet almost every single week uh, on Wednesday nights. Some groups are other nights of the week, but we, we meet on Wednesday nights. And we get together almost every single Wednesday to study together, to pray together, to eat together, um, to laugh together and sometimes to cry together. We did some of that, in fact, this last week, as there are some pretty heavy things going on in the lives of several people in our life group. And there is power in being part of a small group like that. And in fact, if you're not in such a group, I mean, there's, it's wonderful to be part of a group of 150 or whatever we are today. Same with first service. That's great. But you need, all of us need to find a way to have connection with people Um, that can only really happen when you're in a smaller group setting, when everybody's allowed to speak, when everybody has a voice, and you can talk together and pray together and ask questions and bounce ideas off one another and all of that. So, I again, I just really want to encourage you, if you're not in any kind of small group, maybe it's a CR group or maybe it's um, a a Bible study or whatever, come find me or come find Kent Gordon uh, or come find Craig... Walker or any of us others that will introduce you to these people, but you need to find a way to be in some kind of a group like that. And I think you'll see that as we look at this story some more. Here, let's pick it up again. Deuteronomy, I mean, Daniel chapter 3, verse 12, we'll pick it up where where these people that were talking to the king continue. They now say, but, king, but there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Verse 13, furious with rage, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Pretty big time threat, and he's not bluffing. The Bible says he was furious with rage furious with rage. You know, more than times past, I think today we need to understand that if we take a stand for Jesus, there may be people that have an adverse reaction to that, that don't like, don't care for, do not respect or appreciate your Christian values. And you need to be prepared that they may even get furious with rage. They might just talk bad about you behind your back, but they might even do things to your face. There there are things that may happen. We need to understand what Jesus meant when he said in John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. You see, we are to be different is what Jesus wants us to understand. That's why he told us For God told us in Romans 12, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus also talked about being salt and light, two things that a little bit goes a long way to change the environment, to make a big impact. He wants us to be different, to be distinct. Now, we are still told in Scripture in various ways, in various places, to make the gospel attractive. Titus tells us that very clearly in his writing. Um, We're told to speak the truth in love. So in other words, be bold, but do it in a Christ-like, loving way. But as I have said before, I'll say it again, I think metaphorically, as Christians, our least favorite color should be beige, because God does not call us to blend in. He's not called us to fit into the world, but to be transformed, to be different, to be distinctive, to stand out. And I think we need to understand that. And when we do that, we need to understand as what happened here to these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, sometimes the reaction can be pretty negative uh, as the king was furious with rage. Well, the second lesson is simply this. Believing friends stand together in the face of opposition. You need to hang tough. Stand together. Billy Graham once said, and I would guess he said this based on experience, he said, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. So true, so true. You know, it's easier to take a stand if you have a friend or two beside you, you know, whether it be lifting weights or going to Weight Watchers or, you know, walking across the street to strike up a conversation and share the gospel with somebody you don't know or maybe to take a stand at the office where all kinds of, you know, crude things are being joked about and you're... You know it's wrong. You know you need to stand up. But it's a lot easier to do any of the above when you have a Christian brother or sister with you, or three in particular. We are better together. Well, listen to verses 16, 17, and 18. This is the crux of the entire book of Daniel, not just of this story, but of the whole book. And by the way, another interesting, unusual fact is that this is the only statement recorded for us in the Bible from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are never quoted alone. They're never even mentioned alone. They're only quoted or mentioned in a group because they clearly understood the strength of numbers, of being together, being better together. All right, here it is, verse 16. They replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. These three young Hebrew guys, brothers, buddies, were standing tall together, believing that God would rescue them, but also acknowledging, you know, that what Isaiah had said before is true, which is, you know, that God's ways are higher than ours, his thoughts are higher than ours, and in other words, even if God changes his mind, or or even if God sees something that we can't see, and decides the best thing is for us to go ahead and die. Even in that scenario, we will not worship this graven image. We will not break one of the Ten Commandments just because you told us to, King. And they knew this was a dangerous thing. We all need to remember that this life is often tough. John 16, verse 33, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble. Not you might. He said you will but, he said, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Friends, you got to understand. I don't think any of us should ever sugarcoat things or hold back on truth, and that is you need to understand that you will, we all will attend funerals that we did not want to attend that break our hearts. We will all deal with heartbreak and sadness and sickness and pain and frustrating things and even persecution. But we got to remember Jesus' words, and that is to take heart because He said, I have overcome the world. This world is not our final destination. This world is not really our home. We are just passing through. We, we enjoy this life as, as much as we can, but ultimately this is not what life is really all about. This at best, what maybe 80 or 90 years, 95. If you know, if you get really old, you know that's just a blink of an eye. This is not our final destination, and there is such hope and perspective when we see the bigger picture like that, and trust Jesus. So, First Peter 4:12 says, "Do not be surprised at the painful trials you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you." In other words, listen. Pain may be your middle name while you're on this earth, but that's it. There will be no more of that when we get to heaven. These things will all pass away and we in heaven will never face any of that and it will be perfect beyond our understanding of perfection. So hang in there when life gets rough. And remember that it is easier to face difficult stuff when we do so together because, again, we are better together. In 1934, there was a meeting held in Berlin. Adolf Hitler was not a very well-known name at that point, at least not outside of Germany. He had been chancellor for just over a year at that point, and yet he was already strategically taking the nation over through a coordinated um, process of building consensus through intimidation. Everything was being realigned in terms of kind of a national socialist philosophy, and that included churches as well. So protests began to rise from some of the people of God in Germany, you know, about this interference in the church and its life. So Hitler decided to be proactive, and he called a meeting of, uh, had his men put together a meeting of all the leading pastors and religious leaders around Germany and gathered them to supposedly comfort them, to talk about uh, working together and that kind of thing, although his real plan was to simply intimidate and railroad them into going along with his very ungodly plan for his nation well, in that meeting in Berlin, Hitler moved through the crowd patting pastors on the back, you know, shaking hands, that kind of thing. It's a really fascinating story I read this week all about it. And He was going through the crowd doing all this and making them feel important and that kind of thing and smiling and reassuring them that their state subsidies would continue, that their tax-exempt status was not in danger, and that the church of Germany had nothing to fear from, Nazi, uh, from the Nazi government. He even referred to Scripture. Um, Romans chapter 13 talks about how we are to obey leaders. And Hitler quoted the Bible to them and used Scripture as oftentimes those that uh, have their own agendas like to do, take Scripture out of context and misuse it. Well, there was one brash young preacher that was there by the name of Martin Niemöller. Niemöller did something that people today would probably call at least politically incorrect, maybe more reckless, even dangerous, he decided to speak up and stand up for the truth of the Bible. So he pushed his way to the front of the room until he stood eye to eye with the German dictator. As he stood before Hitler, he looked him in the eye and he said, Herr Hitler, which just means mister, I think, as opposed to Heil Hitler. And he said, our concern is not for the church. Jesus Christ will take care of his church. Our concern is for the soul of our nation. Well, Hitler paused, according to the story, and looked around the room at hundreds of other pastors, and as he did, he noticed something, and that was that no one else was jumping up or standing up to come up and stand beside Niemöller. Niemöller, I mean. His political instincts, therefore, kicked in, Hitler's, I mean, and he realized that this young man was alone. And so as silence fell over the room, and by the way, Niemöller's colleagues hustled him away in fear for his life, Hitler looked around, saw what, you know, saw the captive audience before him, and he boldly then said to all, the soul of Germany, you can leave that to me. And as we all know, the history books tell us that's what happened. The nation was led down a path of great destruction, and millions and millions of innocent people were tortured and murdered, brutalized, slaughtered. I don't know about you, but I have to wonder what might have happened if when Nimoler came forward, what might have happened if there had been a Shadrach or an Abednego, you know, a couple of others that stood with him and came and stood beside him? What if the one had become three. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. What if that three had turned into 30, turned into 300? Might the history books be different? But no other pastor in the room stood. No other pastor had the willingness to stand up to the dictator. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12 tells us, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So don't be naive. Don't be misinformed. If you are sincere about your faith, you need to expect persecution, at least in some form or another. But I want to ask you to think about it like this. Would you rather stand temporarily safe at the sight of someone you know is on the wrong side of the fence? Or, w- or would you rather stand temporarily in danger on the right side of the fence with the person who you know you're going to stand beside forever. Um, You know, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, knowing that ultimately you will be on the right side of the fence forever. Which is better? Most of us cave in and take the short temporary route that leads nowhere. We need to learn from stories like this. I hope the correct answer is as obvious to you as it is to It was to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I hope you remember that it is much easier, as they found, to stand with others. Verse 19, the story continues, Nebuchadnezzar was furious, second time it's mentioned that he's upset, furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed even more so. He ordered the furnace heated 7 times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Now pause for a minute and don't think for just even a second that this probably wasn't the scariest moment of their lives. We read the story and think, yeah, you know, we we know what's going to happen. They didn't know what was about to happen. They didn't know, as far as they knew, they could very easily have been burned alive. I mean, which is not pleasant, of course. We know that. And yet they were willing to stand for truth because they knew they had a brother on each side. They were three together. The story continues. So these men... Wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, which it comes into point later why it's mentioned that they're wearing clothes. It's interesting later. Anyway, they were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, think about that. This is unbelievable. I mean, the fire is so hot that when these, by the way, three of the strongest men in the army, or we don't know if it was three, but several of these strong men that threw these three guys in the fire, they were so badly burned that they died. Maybe instantaneously, maybe you know, laying off to the side with third degree burns later. We don't know, but it was a horrific situation. So naturally, the king thought this was the end of the story. These three guys are toast, literally, right? No pun intended. But really, this is the end of the story. They're dead. His soldiers were dead. Of course, these three guys are going to be dead, but not so fast. Look at what happens. Verse 24, "'Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, "'Whoa! Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire?' They replied, certainly, O king. He said, well, well, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, walking around, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Here's the third lesson. Believing friends are accompanied by Jesus himself. When we face the fires of our world, whatever God allows us to face, whatever the enemy throws our way, we are there never alone. We are there with Jesus I mean, think about this. We're looking at an Old Testament story some several hundred years before the Luke 2 passage when Jesus, you know, comes as a baby and is born in Bethlehem and all of that. Some, several hundred years before that story, and yet here Jesus is in the middle of the fire for these three guys. And the king says, and this is kind of interesting, he says, I see four men, one of them looks like a son of the God. You see, that's the only way this pagan... Uh, knew how to verbalize what he saw. He didn't have any, any uh, religious vocabulary. He was not a Christian man by any means at all. And so he said something, you know, that came to his mind. One of them looks like the son of a God, Is his pagan way of looking at things. But you know what? Let me ask you, do you remember the pretty famous, maybe you've even memorized passage out of Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm, where we read, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are, what? With me. You are with me. You know what? Today, friends, listen. Today, no matter what the fire is that we may be in the middle of, that we have to face, no matter what it looks like, Jesus will be there with us. It is Jesus who once said, if you gather in my name, he said, for where two or three are together in my name, there I am, what? With them. He is there with you. You are never alone in this world. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you, he said. He is with us. Well, meanwhile, back in the furnace, the three friends now joined by Jesus, apparently, are moving about freely. And whatever bound them has clearly disintegrated, and yet they are fine. They're just walking around and seemingly having a good time. Verse 26 says, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego! Servants of the Most High God, there's a new phrase he added for them based on what he's just seen. Servants of the Most High God, come out! Come here! Now, pause right there. You know, I, I'm not like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's probably a good thing because if I had been there, I might have been tempted to say something like, you know, based on the fact that we've already seen how hot that fire is, how dangerous it is to the, to the uh, guys who threw them even in the fire. Uh, um, knowing that, I might have been like, oh, oh, great king! Uh, we cannot hear thou'st voice. Please approach closer. Come closer to the fire, O great king. Or, I don't know, something like that. But um, anyway, they were more godly than I and did not say that. But verse 26 continues, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, and governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. And now notice, they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes, were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire even on them. So that's why it's talked about all their clothing. Their clothes didn't even burn up, let alone anything else come to them in terms of uh, harm. I mean, what an incredible miracle. Not just a children's story. This is an amazing, miraculous story that God wants us to be inspired by, motivated by. You know, speaking of the smoke thing, though, as a sidebar, you know, if, if I'm just talking to somebody maybe who smokes, maybe they're smoking a cigarette at the moment and I'm standing there talking to them. Uh, you know, I'm just standing you know, a couple of feet away from them just for a minute or something. I can several hours later walk home or walk into the house at home and Kim will be like, man, you smell like smoke. That kind of stinks. And yet these guys not only did not smell like smoke, they hadn't, I mean, th- the fire hadn't touched them or nothing. They, it hadn't even singed them or even made them smell like smoke. Speaking of smoking is a totally irrelevant piece, but somebody asked me um, recently, "Hey, if I smoke, can I still go to heaven?" And I said, "You know, probably you'll just probably get there quicker than everybody else by 10 or 15 years." And um, they didn't really like that answer, but anyway <laughs> but you know, this is a miracle. It's an incredible miracle of what we get to see in Scripture. I just love God's word. I hope you love God's Word. The stories that God allows us to be inspired by and motivated by are just endless. There's so many beautiful stories. Well, now the king starts to sing a different tune. Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has set his angel, sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God, the one true God. Now get ready for this next verse because it gives us dramatic change in public policy. I mean, the original decree was anybody who doesn't bow down is going to be thrown into the furnace. But now look at what he says. In verse 29 he says, Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces— and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. That, that's totally true. No other God can save in this way. But I think an interesting thing to note here is that while Nebuchadnezzar clearly now believes in God, has seen Jesus, believes in Him, just because he has seen the Christ doesn't mean he's very Christ-like. I mean, the whole, I'm going to cut you into pieces. And, and in fact, it's kind of a funny thing. If you're going to cut somebody into pieces, why would they even care what you do to their house afterwards? I don't know, but he, he goes down that road. But I, I think it's important for us to understand what is happening here. The king has changed his mind because three believing friends have chosen to stand arm in arm in front of evil, in front of something ungodly, and said, we're going to stand together no matter what the cost. Question to you as we close this morning. What might God want to call you to lock arms with a couple of others at least, maybe a bigger group than that even, and stand together in the face of and say, we're going to stand for the Lord. We're going to stand for truth, even if it costs us, even if others mock us, talk bad about us, or worse than that. It doesn't matter. You know, in the mid-80s, about 35 or so years ago, here in Teller County, a group of people who, who did not like what they saw with abortion happening, they decided to make a stand. But rather than just preach sermons at others or shake a bony finger at others, they decided to light a candle rather than just curse the darkness. And they started a ministry called Choices. It is a crisis pregnancy center. And um, for 35 years or so, they have been saving lives, standing for truth, in the middle of darkness, um, how about not not this first section, but how about you know how about that? How about the back left section? How about well, all of you stand up for just a minute. Well, all of you just in that back section, will you stand up? I don't know the exact number of you, but it looks like maybe there's thirty of you or so. Everybody else, I want you to look at this group of thirty or so people. Thirty one is the actual number of people that that choices saved. That are alive today that would otherwise be dead. Just last year, in 2018, 31 people. A prout like that. How about how about how about this next section here in the middle? Will you stand? Will you stand? That you you look to be about a group of about 20. On average, since 1985 or 6 when that ministry began, on average, about 20 people every year have been saved. And put it all together, and we're talking over 700 people since the beginning of that ministry have been saved and are alive today because of the convictions and the commitment of a small handful of people who said, we're going to stand together for truth. Isn't that awesome? That's what Choices has done. How about this? Will everybody, will you all stand together as we close? The band is going to lead us in a song and in a moment of worship. I want to encourage you to consider. Maybe the Lord is laying on your heart the need to stand, to take a stand in some capacity. I don't know what it looks like. Maybe there's a need for some other kind of ministry like that. Maybe it's to take a stand in your neighborhood or in your, in your house or at your business, or wherever it may be. But in some capacity, maybe God is saying, I want you to lock arms with a couple of others A cord of three strands is not easily broken. And stand up for truth. If that's you, as we sing, maybe you come forward together, grabbing the arm of somebody else and say, let's pray together. Let's let's let somebody else, maybe a pastor or an elder that's up here, pray with us and lead us to uh, that place of stronger commitment. Maybe that's you. Maybe you have a decision to make. Maybe you've never given your life to the Lord and you say, I don't want to be alone. I want to walk with the Lord. I want to do life with Jesus and then other Christians as well. But starting out with a commitment to Jesus, if that's you, would you come as we sing? But let's, one way or the other, let's worship Almighty God with all we've got as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, singing with all we've got in honor of Almighty God. Let's worship Him together.